The Recovery Greenhouse is a podcast dedicated to the growth of ideas, concepts, and outlooks that support recovery and recovering communities. I'm Gerald Lott, your host and a person in long-term recovery. I'm also founder and executive director of Salt Valley Voices of Recovery, a recovery community organization serving Northwest Illinois. I'm a certified peer support specialist, entrepreneur, and a father, and after a long, long list of careers, I found my calling in helping others find recovery. I work with many, many people every day, several addiction-related advisory boards all run all over the country talking about recovery, but my core belief is that people must make an effort to change their lives for recovery. There's, there's a saying, no pain, no gain, and it's exactly correct. You cannot experience significant life changes without enduring, accepting, and often welcoming discomfort. You see, it isn't the change that hurts, it's our resistance to it. Our episode today is brought to you by the Ogle DeKalb County Ross Council. Um, they are a group of stakeholders uh, getting together to try to look at different ways to combat uh, stigma uh, and create a better recovery community. Today, my guest is somebody I'm really super honored to meet. Um, this will be our first conversation. Um, I, I have known of her for a long, long time and watched her TED talk and saw when uh, she was crowned Miss USA because that was the kind of thing I was watching back in those days and um, and kind of followed you, you know, from afar. So, you know, you, you, you not only have a podcast interviewer, but a fan. Um, wow. It is Tara Connor who will be coming to RecoverCon in DeKalb in October. Yay! There you go. So, hey, Tara, how's it going? Hi. Oh, my gosh. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you for that really cool introduction. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so excited. You know, I saw your your TED Talk, and, and you just, you had such a a, a, a humor about yourself and a, an ability to kind of look back at something I know that had to have been just amazingly traumatic and laugh and it 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 it's just it was so inspirational and and I, I I really uh thank you for doing that yeah thank you um I am so grateful that I was at a place in my life when I did that TED talk like I was in a place in my recovery where I was very solid which you know it's not always like that like look recovery is not linear Right. So right. at the moment, like I, I had been in the middle of the work and I was like just on fire for recovery. And um, I'm really grateful that it has resonated with so many people because that's all you can hope for is being transparent and people being able to say, oh, wow, I totally relate to that. And I'm not alone in it. Right. Right. Even though, you know, the 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 drama in your life was at such a high yeah. level, right? You know, I mean. It was insane. <laughs> I don't know that, that, I mean, my recovery story is very unique and you know how people come into treatment or they like get sober and they feel like they're so unique. I was absolutely one of those people and I was unique. Like not everyone gets the chance to get sober in front of the world. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, I mean, you know, there's there's a a certain um, almost call it arrogance that you you have to have. I mean, the things I'm doing are amazing, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, the things you're doing are amazing. This, and then you 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 put on top of that that you know, just 15 years ago, 
nobody thought I'd be, people didn't think I'd live the weekend, right. Right. much less be able to do something. And so, you know, you, you have to believe in self. If, if you didn't believe in you, who was? I know. And I'm, I'm grateful that I had that. I honestly, my pride kept me sober for probably the first five years where I was just like, I'll show you people. And then no one was watching anymore. And I was like, Hey, I'm still sober over here. If anybody cares. And then I realized, and that was when it really hit me. I'm like, Oh, I'm not doing this for anyone else, but myself. Right. You know? And how long have you been sober now? I have been sober 16 and a half years. Right on. My sobriety dates December 11th of 2006. Okay. Isn't that crazy? It's a long time. It's a long time. It's a long time. Like, I can't wait to say I'm a teenager. And then as I get older, I'm like, wait, that just means I'm getting old. So here, let me scare you. <laughs> I was sober for 14 years and purposely relapsed. Oh, dang. Right? Really? I was in a goofy relationship. It, it, mm. I, can't, I can't say I was sober. I was dry. Gotcha. All right. Because for the last nine, well, eight to nine years, I was in the music business, um, mm-hmm. running around with all sorts of weird people. I had this girlfriend who became my higher power. She was still drinking and using. Mm-hmm. As we started to pull apart, um, I my mind told me, well, the reason you're pulling apart is because you can't drink with her. So you should drink with her. So yeah. then I went to the wine bar. Oh, no. Because that's a good move for an alcoholic, right? Yeah, and I'm not going to sell you a bottle of $400 wine I haven't tasted. Come on. That's fair. That's, that's not, not a relapse. but no. And so so in four months, wiped out everything. Lost two restaurants, lost the girlfriend, lost the family, lost the car. Oh, and no. Down from living very well to everything you own in two garbage bags in yeah. four months. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. So now I've been sober 15 years. So wow. April 18th of 2008 is, is my day. So wow. So you're a you're a professional. <laughs> yeah. I've been doing this for a minute. Yeah. Oh my God. I relate to that so much because at about eight and a half years is when I hit like my actual bottom because I think that everyone believes like you hit your bottom when you're out there and you lose everything and you're like me but for me losing um just losing face you know like I couldn't change the way that I was feeling on the inside I couldn't change the way I couldn't change my thoughts that really bummed me out because I hadn't I was dry I I was the spokesperson for recovery that was too afraid and ashamed to say like, Hey, I'm dying. That's my baby. I'm dying (laughs) on the inside. And, um, I don't know how to stop it. And I was too proud to ask anyone for help until I was in the fetal position on the floor. Nothing was wrong with my life. And I experienced the disease of addiction and alcoholism from a sober state from a dry and I could see the true nature of the illness because the easiest part is putting the plug in the jug. That's the easiest part, not to like shun people away. Cause for some, that sounds impossible to do, but once you're separated, whether you go through a detox or treatment or, you know, do it at home with the help of doc, whatever you got to do, right. that's when you start to see the true nature of why 
we use, why we convince ourselves from a sober state that this time it's going to be different. This time I can drink like a lady. I can't serve $400 wine without trying it. Right. So it's a cycle. And then once we get hit with it and we trigger that part of our mind, the thing I always tell people is it's very easy to stop using drugs and alcohol. Right. Yeah. I get arrested. I fall down. I run out of money. I stop. The hard part is staying stopped. Staying stopped. Mm-hmm. Right. Because my mind is still wackadoodle. For sure. Yeah. And it's the human condition that we're battling as well. So, right. you know, we're wackadoodle on top of really bad dopamine receptors and a really skewed prefrontal cortex, thinking that we can outthink this disease like i can i know what's best for me i don't need to go to 12 step stuff i need to do yoga right right. (laughs) like i'm trying to fix me with the same brain that got me here exactly well interestingly i've 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 kind of i still am very active in 12 step will Mm -hmm. always be to the day i die but i also recognize that i i need to build positive connection because because 12 step is like a negative connection sometimes tara and jara walk into a room and we don't know each other from adam the only thing we have connecting us is ah yes right i i got this thing i hate and you got this peril as they say (laughs) right and i'm trying to get rid of mine and if i get rid of it i get rid of tara but Uh, if we could bond on something we like we like art and so we're doing art together or we like basketball and so Mm -hmm. that's what a big part of our organization has been founded on is trying to create what i call affinity groups Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. you know and 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 um just like when i was in college and i was in you know the black student union or the fraternity or whatever Mm -hmm. i i want things that that you and i can connect over that are growing absolutely and i think that that's imperative for long-term recovery like i i do i believe strongly in like a 12-step system but i also i work with clients all the time and i tell a lot of people are like i'm not doing that that's not for me and i'm like listen great that's fantastic find something that is find a modality or a support group or fellowship or connection or something that you have an affinity for and throw yourself into it because there has to be some type of, there has to be, I I call it like, I went through three years of really hard 12 step work and I did meetings every, every day, no matter what, no matter what, you know, like this was after my ego death. Um, something needed to change because I was going to die from a sober mm-hmm. state because y'all told me not to drink or use no matter what. So that wasn't an option. Right. So the only thing my head was going to was I want to die. And that's a terrible, I know you relate to that. It's a terrible place to be in a sober state and like, be like, why am I doing this? If I want to feel, if I feel like I'm dying all the time, but I had undiagnosed mental health issues. I had, um, I had uh, relationship issues. My behavioral addictions were still very active. And um, I went through that process, but it can't just be that. There's life outside of that. You know, there's life after the spiritual awakening. 
and there's life during the spiritual awakening. But if you can't find that connection and recovery outside of that common peril, then it's doom and gloom all the time. So I totally agree with that. And I think that that's amazing that, that that's something that you guys practice because we need that, you know, like I'll run groups, um, in treatment facilities. And a lot of times if people are just like humdrum and having a bad day, like we'll play Pictionary and it gets weird. You know what I mean? Like people get competitive. They come in negative Nancy. They're like, I can't draw. Like I, this is stupid, you know? And then by the end of it, they're like, come on. Like everyone wants to do it because we all just want to enjoy life and like connect and not be in that that just spiral of I'm never going to be enough I'm not crap I'm never going to be crap what's the point yeah I I agree with you 100 percent and and you know the value of a board game you know the, the interesting thing is most of the stuff I should have known my mother tried to teach me when I was eight right like sit down at the table and play Monopoly, mm-hmm. and I got too cool. Right? I can't. Yeah, I don't have time. Uh-huh. And, you know, there was something there. It, it, it's like you said. It's connection. You know, Johan Hari's. Uh, you know, the opposite of addiction. You know, he, actually, Johan spoke in your place at our first RecoverCon. Oh wow! Yeah, but, cool. um, but so you got big shoes to fill. But the, the you know, it, it's just like I can't do this thing alone. Right. You know, I, I just can't. No. It, like you said, it's my goofy mind that created the problem trying to fix the problem and it's not going to work. Right. And so being around those other people and, and what we find in our groups is we're there to play basketball. But because we're all in recovery, if somebody were to walk in and be like, yo, I need to talk. You can. Then we can all sit down and, you know, we'll talk. But if there's no problem, then let's play basketball. Right. Right. And enjoy life and and laugh because that's all I ever wanted to do in the first place was have a good laugh. Yeah. And to be able to find connection with people who are not going to judge us, who aren't going to look at us cross-eyed, who aren't going to clutch their pearls when we tell our story. Like having the safety of that is so wonderful. But I also think on top of that, we have to we have to show people that their recovery doesn't have to stay in the four block radius that their addiction kept them. Cause I think a lot of people, they limit themselves to this is what my life can look like because of my circumstances. I, 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 you're blowing me away because, so I got to stop you for one second and tell you I'm in DC for a, uh, a conference few like six weeks ago or so. And um, I'm walking out of the men's room in this hotel mm-hmm. and I, I bump into John Schenholzer, uh, who, who, you know, who I've seen in anonymous people. And like, he's like a God and, you know, he <laughs> sent us a video last year, but you know, he, he he's up there and I'm like, Oh God, it's you, you know? And I hand him a flyer for RecoverCon. And I'm like, John, if you could come, you got to come. And he looks at, it, he goes, tell terror. I said, hello. So there you go. <laughs> so you're I connected. Reach out to him. It has been. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, no, no. I'm just saying that it's like it's amazing how small this world is, and the connection and and people 
don't understand. One, that someone with my history, someone with your history, someone with his, can be traveling around this country, right, doing the things that we get to do, right, right. That yeah. nobody, I'm supposed to be in jail, right. Probably. It's same. I'm, I was just never caught. Right. I mean, I was caught in a different kind of way. You know what right. I mean? But I've done plenty of things that should have been jailed for. Okay. Right. <laughs> and, and, and I thought that I was 100% disqualified, yeah. right? I've got people I grew up with, people I, I went to college with, people I've worked with in the past, and, mm -hmm. and I walked away from them with my head down in shame, thinking, you all will never be able to respect me again because of these things. Right. And and that's not true. But then also, the connection. I, I, I meet people in recovery that don't want anything. They just want to give. You know, I mean, to me, you're a big deal. Tara, Tara you're a big deal. And, so and good for my ego. Thank you. You're a big deal, right? You, you've been places, <laughs> you've done things. And to hear you say you're leading groups, it's like, what? Oh, hell yeah. That's that. I love it. That's that. And I fell into that, by the way. It wasn't anything that was like, um, it wasn't on purpose. I, I went to treatment. I had process groups. You know what I mean? But I don't remember them because this was 16 and a half years ago. And it right. started, you know, I started out by teaching yoga. Like I had some downtime and my, I ended up getting certified and I was covering for one of my, you know, fellowship sisters and she was teaching yoga at a treatment facility. And I was like, all right, I'll help you out. And then, um, I, they were all nodding out on subs. So I was like, well, no one's doing yoga up in here. So I just talked to them. Therapists overheard me. They were like, you'd be a great facilitator. I was like, I don't know what that is, but okay. And then um, now I love it. I you're love much it. nicer than I am because I would have tried to put them into positions that when they nodded, they fell over. It would have been mean, for me. Listen, I love it. But, you know, I, I'm the type of facilitator because I'm not, you know, I am not a therapist. So I don't have to be nice. There you go. There you okay. Go. There's freedom in that. I mean, I'm nice, but I'll tell you the truth. Well, you know what? Let's let's take a quick break. Then when we come back, I want to uh, I want to let you tell your story because I feel like I just got all into like what Gerald wants to talk about and did. I have painted you as you've done one thing in your life. You were Miss USA, and and that, and I don't want that to be the case because I know that that absolutely isn't. So um, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Great. The Ocal DeKalb County Ross Council is a coalition of community stakeholders and interested parties that meet regularly with an intention to identify current community resources or providers for recovery adjacent services and to identify gaps in the continuum of care. The Ross seeks to coordinate providers and services to help prevent service duplication and to utilize all our community providers and resources to the maximum benefit of people seeking recovery from substance use disorders. Ideally, the group collaboration will evolve into a standing and sustainable organization that provides support and services for people in addiction and behavioral health recovery. In the case of the Sauk Valley, we already have such an entity in Sauk Valley Voices of Recovery. In our case, the Ross can assist SVVOR in focusing their efforts as well as helping new groups and organizations develop and grow. 
The Ross Council is open to all community organizations, including the legal, educational, spiritual, recreational, law enforcement, and health care services. Along with the Recovery Community Organization, the Ross Council will encourage community partnerships and collaborations and work to reduce stigma. The Ross Council seeks to be inclusive, equitable, and diverse at its core and focuses on helping all people become a part of, rather than apart from, their respective communities and to establish greater hope and future for all. You're welcome to join the Ross Council as a organization or as an individual. To do so, call us at 779-707-0151. So we're back. We're back with Tara Connor, Miss, uh, former Miss USA, recovery advocate, podcast host, actress, model, mom, uh, astronaut, yoga teacher. That's kind of all the stuff. All the stuff. For you. I'm good. I'm living my best life. Um, well, tell I'm me not, about that life. So currently my life is lack of sleep. I have a seven and a half month old that loves me so much that right. she just wants to snuggle. And I love that. And truthfully, had I not gone through years of infertility, I would not have been prepared to love the way that I do with the patients that I have. Everything leads to everything, but that's the current situation. I'm very tired. I need a nap, but my life is so full in the most beautiful ways that I, I don't care. All right. <laughs> I don't care. Um, what do you want to know? I have so many things, so many things to say. Where, where you come, I mean, you know, you're AA or, or 12 step, you know. Yeah. What, so, what was life like? What happened? What you like now? But don't give away the story so then nobody wants to hear it when you come to the couch. Oh, yeah. I'll give you some cliffies. Um, All right. Cliff there we go. version of the old story. So I'm, I'm from a small town in Kentucky, and I grew up very um, close-minded, sheltered. Sheltered, but did drugs. I don't know if that makes sense, but, like, it was sheltered from the world, like, meaning... I never left. I grew up in a town that you don't leave. Uh-huh. Some people leave and that town can be a beautiful place to live. But if you're addicted to drugs or alcohol in that town, it's not it's easy. To get out. Yeah. Um, I was a pageant girl. I used pageants as um, kind of like an ultimate mask for my addiction. Um, I started using when I was 14 years old. I had my first drink on a cheerleading trip. By the end of that year, I was looking for morphine, you know, adolescent addicts. That's where it starts. And I tried to um, succeed my way out of addiction, I guess you would say. I tried to just cover it up, cover it up, cover it up. And succeeded all the way to winning Miss USA. Life has completely changed. (laughs) Moving to New York City. Boss was Donald Trump at the time. Um, didn't know what a cross street was, had never had Starbucks or sushi and (laughs) hit my bottom while I was Miss USA, hit my, uh, my, my using bottom because I got caught. Um, I say that because we hit several bottoms in life. Um, what ended up happening is I pissed off Miss Teen USA. And she thought I was 
flirting with her boyfriend and I wasn't very petty stuff, riveting. And she told my boss that I was doing drugs and they drug tested me. And, um, you know, my worst nightmare became a reality because my whole world was trying to prove to everyone that I wasn't this little trollop that they thought I was. And here I am proving people right. They're hearing rumblings about my actions and, you know, the, the, uh, the curtain finally revealed who I was good, bad, and indifferent. And, um, that's when my recovery journey began. Um, if you listen to stories or, you know, look at the internet or remember the story at all, a lot of people see it as Donald Trump gave me a second chance, sent me to treatment. Um, that's the story that was the publications. Um, the truth is, is, um, I was sent to treatment. My story was leaked by the Miss Universe organization. Um, Donald Trump was angry that I was in treatment and not being photographed going in and out of clubs because that's what they were doing at the time. Mm -hmm. And just liked telling people that he saved my life. And so there's a little bit of a saltiness there because, you know, my, my life was on the line and, um, people really exploited that and treated me as like a witch at the Salem witch trials because the stigma was so alive. Um, but I always say that your angels aren't always dressed as angels. Sometimes they come in as wolves and sure. thank God for that. You know, I, um, was introduced to recovery. I was introduced to the understanding that this was a disease and that I was not a bad person, that I was just ill. Um, and I became an advocate because, you know, when you realize you're sick and then people are like, you suck. I'm like, no, I don't. I'm sick. Stop talking to me like that. Cause all I could see was me out there listening to someone talk to Miss USA this way. And I said, absolutely not. This is not okay. And so that basically started my advocacy journey. Problem was, was I became an advocate before I recovered. And I think a lot of people do that. Unfortunately, so. a lot of celebrities do that. They become an expert at 30 days. Mm -hmm. People want to hear their story. They want them to come speak at their events. And then they clutch their pearls when there's no recovery in the story. And it's just like, look what I did. <laughs> but I was that guy. So, so there's, there is a, a, a celebrity out there that people have been like, oh, we got to get her. We got to get her. And she professes this, you know, California sober nonsense. Uh, well, and, she put that back. She reeled that back. Well, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, what I've told people is please understand that these people you're idolizing right. have a guy they're paying 80, 100, 150,000 a year to right. knock the drink out of their hand. You right. don't have that. No. If it yeah. goes bad, it goes bad. Right, 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 right. right no right, town right, car right. takes you home. No, so, it's so know. true. And, you know, it, it's really it's hard, you know, it's hard. And I'm guilty of being that person only because I was really good at regurgitating recovery fundamentals. So I didn't do that much damage, but I didn't fully understand what it was that I was suffering from until I was eight and a half years of sobriety. 
And that's when I hit. So it's a TM, right? (laughs) Trademark. Like, so it took me a while um, to understand the true nature of my illness, which was, I can't control my emotional natures untreated. I can't change the way that I think untreated. I can't fix me with the same brain that messed me up or the same brain that was misused that ended up being like, you know, it's my car that drives this meat suit. And I think that I know what's best for me because I'm grown Right. until I'm in the fetal position on the floor, begging God to step in finally and being like, yo, something's got to change because I'm going to die. And that that I think everyone needs to have that moment. I think every experience is vital, even if it's not cute, even if it gets messy. Um, Every experience is important because had I not beaten myself into a state of reasonableness from a sober state, I don't know that I would have chased my recovery like only the dying do. And I'm really, really grateful for that. So I um. I know that for me to change, I have to be willing to take direction from somebody. I don't know who that's got to be. I don't care if you're checking into an IOP, going with a new sponsor, going with a thumper, going to a yoga retreat, going to refuge recovery, smart recovery, whatever recovery you got to do that's going to keep you in place, that's going to challenge your thinking and make you go, uh-uh, you know, if you don't have a knee-jerk reaction and balk at some of the new ideas that are being introduced to you, you're probably in the wrong place. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It, it should not come in smooth. No, it, it should, should be debilitating. It right. should suck. But you should have the right people there to hug you while it sucks. You should and that's have to- I say, the no pain, no gain thing in the start of the podcast is, you know, this isn't going to be a slip and slide. No, but the pain doesn't have to last forever. Cause I think people here, and I know you know that, I think people here, like I was beaten down and I hit my bottom and that's when I was able to change. And it's like, if you just commit to a process and again, find the language that works for you but completely abandon yourself to that, to something so that you can have a new experience. And then, you know, there's things that say we recover. We are recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. I can use my thinking. But see, you you caught something there. And that is you're not going to recover unless you have a hope that life is going to get better because if life's going to c- continue to be a pain in the jack in the back, I'm not doing it. Right. As, as an addict alcoholic, my whole goal was to feel no pain. Right. Right. So, so when people come in and they say, Oh, this sucks. A lot of people think, well, this is going to suck forever. Right. That hope. I, when you were talking about the small town in Kentucky, we're, we're there. This is, that's where I'm at. Um, I'm originally from Chicago, but now I'm in small town, Illinois, a uh, town of 20, 30,000 people, cornfields on every side, mm-hmm. um, you know, all the homecoming queens and and, and quarterbacks left. 
Right. They don't. <laughs> right. And so, you know, you're looking at, at people that that the idea of standing on a stage and having somebody put a sash around them is so it, it it's like Martians landing in the backyard to a lot of people. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just yeah. not it's yeah. not there. Um and um for me. I grew up in a different place in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, I've been on some stages. I've done some things that for me, I always believe this sucks now, but in three weeks, I'm going to be doing something cool. Right. But a lot of the people we work with, they don't have that hope. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it's life has sucked for 30 years and it's going to continue right. to suck. Yeah. And now you're telling me to purposely go to treatment and let somebody make my life worse for a while and it's very hard and so it is. how do we tell people that life gets better well I think part of it is by showing and I mean my TED talk is about like recover out loud like show people what that looks like and I think that people get fascinated by my story because of the story behind it because I think a lot of people see um, my bottom as an actual like jumping off point of like, oh, I made it. You know what I mean? Like my made it was my bottom. And today I strive to have a calm, useful, quiet, as quiet as I can life where I'm not chasing likes. I'm not chasing validation. I hate putting on makeup. But I feel more amazing than I ever felt in my life. And if you looked at my life on the outside now, you wouldn't want it. If you're still in that idea of when this happens, I'll feel better. When I make this much money, that's when I'll feel better. When this happens, if I had this opera, only if, because a lot of people stay stuck. People stay stuck based off of the ideas that when this happens, I'll feel better. I can so, remember I can remember days where I had stacks of cash tall as me. Right. I'm unhappy. Today I'm making, you know, a third, a quarter of that. It's pretty good. I get to go to my kids' football game. Amen. And I never wanted to be a mom. Like this isn't a life that I really thought that I wanted until I'm you know, got healthy enough to have a healthy relationship where I was like, oh, I can bring a child into this world and then not completely screw them up. You know, I mean, I'm going to do things. I'm not a perfect parent. Every kid, good, bad, or indifferent, even if you lived in, you know, the nicest part of town with the coolest parents and blah, 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 you're going to resent them for something. ZZ is going to hate me for something down the road. Is that her name? What's her name? ZZ. Spell it. Z-E-Z-E. -E. Ah, that's awesome. ZZ May. She's awesome. That's um, awesome. But, you know, I, I think that you know, if you go into recovery with the hope or the desire to change the way your circumstances look, I don't know that that's necessarily going to change anything. Because for me, I, I wasn't willing to do anything different until 
I hit a bottom sober where I was like, oh God, I'm literally, I felt like my body was on fire mm. on the inside emotionally. So I, I realized that well, all you had done was taken away your solution. You were doing right. life the same way. You were just right. taking out the thing that kept you from starting on fire. Amen. And then when that was gone, I started doing more behavioral things that looked really gross. Like I did crazier things sober than I ever did loaded. I made more mistakes sober and hurt more people sober and dry than I ever did loaded. Right on. I did it. And so, you know, for people that are looking for hope, I ask clients, sponsees, Anyone that comes to me and says, what do I have to do? And I'll ask them, how free do you want to be? Oh, okay. If you give people the option of freedom, it opens up a million doors because we're all these prisoners in our brain, these prisoners of our ideas. And if someone isn't willing to take direction or do anything different. Unfortunately, they might have to have some more experiences. And I hate that. I hate that part of this illness. I hate that. But, you know, it's also the same way when people have like borderline diabetes. They're like, well, I haven't fully crossed that invisible line yet. So I'm going <laughs> to not change my diet. I'm going to do the same thing. And they keep damaging their body until they get to a point where a medical intervention needs to happen. So, you know, I, it's, it's interesting because I, I want to be able to promise that people's lives will be like stars and fireworks and all these wonderful things. Life is still going to happen. You know, when I got sober, life, life gets lifey. I say that all the time. I, I, it, life gets lifey and it doesn't matter how many years I have sober how many good deeds I've done that does not exempt me from hard times. I, I, my hardest time in recovery, honestly, was going through infertility. That was like, I couldn't change it. My body wasn't doing what it was quote unquote supposed to do. My ideas around conception and families and all of those old ideas were playing out in front of me and I couldn't change it. Like it was excruciating. It was my next form of surrender. It was my last real huge mountain that I had to climb. Was there, and, any, part of you, was there any part of you that, that thought maybe I'm suffering this because of my behavior before? Uh, no, but I do think there was a part of me that I think our belief system is ever evolving. And my old belief system was like, I, you know, and a God that was uh, a smiter that was like, you know, if you don't do this, this is going to happen. Dun, dun, dun. Right. And so, you know, when the pandemic hit and you couldn't go to as many meetings and you couldn't be of service the way that you needed to, like, I really needed to make my idea of God bigger because there was a part of me that got resentful because I was like, do you need me to? to do tricks in order for you to give me the desires of my heart. I was very much in a selfishness that I couldn't like really pull myself out of, but that was my next uh, true beautiful experience with my higher power was I don't have to have a good attitude or be on good terms with my higher power emotionally in order for blessings to come my way. Thank God. 
Right. You know what I mean? Like, thank God it's not me. Thank yeah. God I don't have to be like this shining example of purity and amazingness for good things to come my way. I don't, nothing that I, there's no spiritual bank, you know? I mean, I think that, you know, the more actions we take, the better we feel. I love that service is amazing, but. I, I don't know. I'm trying to tip the scales, man. I, I'm, I, I believe that I'm going to get to the pearly gates and they're going to hold up the ledger. And um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stack the deck. man. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. Now I say that after I don't want it to come off the wrong way. I, I say that to say I still continue to do everything that I did that keeps me well. I still did good things. I didn't just say, screw this, I'm out. I just had that very real feeling that a lot of us get. It's the human condition when things stay down for a really long time and you don't know how you're going to move forward from it without that hope. It's exactly what you were talking about with people getting sober. In my mind, I knew I was supposed to be a mother. I knew that I was supposed to have this experience, but it wasn't happening. It took us $80,000 to make my daughter. Wow. It wow. took thousands of dollars, hundreds of injections, millions of seconds of just dying on the inside. But I couldn't go through that with the guarantee that I was going to get a baby. I had to go through that with the understanding that maybe it could happen. And so that's why we continued and thank God it worked out. Absolutely. And very lucky. Well, and we're very lucky, you know, like I, I'm a good mama. I'm a good mom. I'm a good awesome. wife. I am a great friend. I'm a great daughter. Like each experience in my life that has brought me to my knees has prepared me for this moment. Each experience, good, bad, and indifferent has been vital for me to become the person that I am that has the bandwidth to do the things that I do at this point in my life. Never in a million years would I have been able to run a bunch of groups during the week, raise a daughter without childcare because we like to save money. Right. You know what right. I mean? Like, <laughs> We like had six kids. I get it. Dang. I well, would have gave you a child. I would have just sent them in a box and sent them to you. There you go. Take them. Um, take them. But, you know, recovery doesn't promise us that our lives are going to be what we want them to be. It promises us that we're going to walk through whatever our life turns out to be with grace. Right. So that we can be the best version of ourselves, regardless of what it looks like. So we've only got five minutes. I, I, I want to make sure we get a like. Tell us, you know, is the book still happening? Is the podcast happening? What is traveling well, around telling your story look like? Traveling is, is actually starting to kick back up, which is crazy because after the pandemic, like speaking went out the window. But then I was like momming, so I was like, whatever. Um, right. Right now, yes, the advocacy journey has started. Um, now that I'm a mama, I have the bandwidth to do things every now and then. So the book was kind of put on pause just because, unfortunately, 
people want to hear more about the salacious details than they actually want to hear about the recovery process. So for me to do like a proper book to do it justice, I'm probably going to have to self-publish and do all of that, which is fine. Um, I don't have bandwidth for it right now. That doesn't mean that it's not going to happen. I do think that that is definitely in my cards. Um, but for right now, you know, yes, I'm starting to jump back to being, you know, recover out loud, Tara Connor sharing her story. And then, you know, as I go, I just, I gain more information through my work, through being hands-on. Like I see people coming in and out of recovery all the time. I work with people that have, you know, years sober and people that have minutes sober. Um, Can I make a request? Sure. All right. My daughter, who's 30 now, and unfortunately at this very moment is not doing well with her addiction, but has been in and out, got sober four years ago and had a baby at the same time. Wow. And stayed uh, sober for three and a half years and did amazing. Her life was, mm-hmm. Re- wouldn't believe her life, right? And yeah. um, the dad was out of the picture. Um, she started trying to date. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, she, she started dating up, right? Lawyers, doctors, NFL players, that kind of world. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that she really could hang in that arena conversationally. Okay. And so she went the other way and went back to the people she had been around before and it destroyed her. Mm. And at the time that she was sober, um, I was asking her to try to get some kind of 12 step for new mothers going. I thought that that was mm. hugely important. Mm-hmm. Maybe she didn't have the sobriety or the mindset to get something going, but I, I would challenge you that I believe there's a lot of people in your situation seven months after having a baby. Mm-hmm. Recovery looks different to you than it looks to me. Absolutely. And it's- I can go sleep whenever I want. Right. I'm, you know, functioning off of zero sleep. I'm functioning off of zero self-care time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I just, sure. I can't just like load up. I mean, I take my kid with me when I have to go places. Like if I have to speak at a meeting or if something happens, like she comes with me because I don't have a choice. Um, I mean, I do. I just choose to have her with me, you know, but um, it's hard because your mind does insane things. and for the fathers, the mind does insane things. Like my husband and I have been battling intrusive thoughts that are out of this world. Like every day, my head tells me that he's going to die. Every day, his head tells him that I'm going to kill myself. Right. And neither one of us are doing any actions that would cause that. Neither one of us, but those are real thoughts. You can can see it because we know that our ism is our self-centeredness. Mm-hmm. Now you've got this baby, and, right. and for me as a father, I'm like, if she dies, the worst thing that can happen to me is I got to take care of that baby by myself. Yeah, yeah, and I know that that's a real fear for him, and it's also, you know, it's just, and they're they're just uncontrollable thoughts. It's the same things that we experience when our mind is still very ill, so it mirrors being untreated. 
and it feels very real. Luckily with a little bit of time. And also I have to take medication. Like I am not against that. Like I have to take an SSRI because I have severe depression and I'm very clear that like the 12 steps isn't going to change my chemical imbalance, unfortunately. So, you know, I know how to mind my mind at this point, but I do know a lot of women that go through postpartum depression that everything looks fine on the outside, but women had a really hard time opening up, but there's, there's a lot of really great resources out there and women that you can follow on Instagram and I think they have a couple of things like I think they just need a leader. And so that's my request, GJ. <laughs> play, it, play it again for me. So we're gonna close up. We're gonna see each other in a few weeks. And I'm just so excited and looking forward to hanging out with you. And I, I hope you wait. enjoy the conference. Yeah. Um so let me do so this podcast is produced by me, Gerald. It's brought to you by uh to, the episode is brought to you by Ogle DeCal Bros. Um, thanks to Slang Music for the music. Thanks to WNR or NRG Media for the radio time. Um, other than that, thanks to Tara for being here. Thanks for everything. And, um, you know, if you need help, reach out. Reach out to somebody at your local police, your local church, your local 12-step, the hospital. You know, just go out on the street corner and yell, I'm f***ing dying here. Excuse right. me. But but just just let somebody know. Don't do it alone. There right. are people all over that will help you. And if you can't find somebody in your part of the world to help you, call us. We're at 779-707-0151. Um, and we will do the work for you. But there's no reason to suffer alone. Um, you can get better. So until next week, take care of yourself.